Angie has made it easier than ever to hire high-quality pros to get all your home service jobs done well. Just bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie will connect you with local pros who match your specific needs. Or book a service instantly at an upfront price. So join the millions of homeowners who use Angie to care for their homes and get your next home service job done well. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Well, they couldn't have ordered up a better day, I'll tell you that. I woke up, I was so glad. Everyone, it's me, Matt Rogers, and today is a very special day here on the HBO Max Movie Club. We're really bringing home the blue ribbon on this one because this episode is all about the films, the creative offerings, the comedy gold of Christopher Guest. And yes, there were some best in show quotes littered throughout those opening sentences of the podcast from my diehards. Okay, I see you, baby. Good boys and good girls and good NBs. That was a little dog joke, like talking to you guys as if you were dogs. Anyways, born February 5th, 1948 in New York City, Christopher Guest was raised in both New York and London and is actually, get this, royal-ish. Okay, he's a baron. He holds a hereditary British seat as the fifth Baron Hayden Guest. Major brag. So all that and being known for pioneering the mockumentary genre, okay, King, Christopher Guest is truly one of a kind. But... Did you know he actually doesn't love the word mockumentary? Yeah, he believes it implies he's making fun of others. What a guy, right? He doesn't want to make fun of people. Only satirize. There's a difference. If you don't think you know Christopher Guest, you do. I'm talking Best in Show, Waiting for Guffman, A Mighty Wind, For Your Consideration, and the list truly does go on and on. But, you know, currently and you're not going to believe this, you actually can stream Best in Show, A Mighty Wind, and For Your Consideration, all on HBO Max. So get your busy bee, get cozy, and get into it. You know, Guest loves working with his people. In fact, if you're a fan of his films, you'll notice that he sort of has a company of folks that he likes to work with again and again. A sort of improv troupe of sorts in a world where we still use the phrase improv troupe. Eugene Levy, Catherine O'Hara, Fred Willard, Michael McKeon, Bob Balaban, Parker Posey, Harry Shearer, Jennifer Coolidge, Larry Miller, John Michael Higgins, and Jane Lynch. All these folks appear in at least four of Guest's films. And he actually is a frequent writing partner of Eugene Levy's. They've actually written five films together. Okay, prolific much? Yeah. In addition to being a filmmaker and actor, Christopher Guest is an accomplished musician. He studied classical music and plays the clarinet and the mandolin, as well as the guitar, and he actually played in bluegrass and rock bands. So music was and remains an interest, so much so that he actually co-wrote the score and original music for A Mighty Wind and Waiting for Guffman. In fact, He's actually a Grammy winner for A Mighty Wind, in addition to being an Emmy winner for his work on the Lily Tomlin special way back in the 70s. And, I mean, he's just overall one of the most influential comedic artists, I'm going to say it, ever. Also, did we know that he's married to Jamie Lee Curtis and has been for 38 years? I don't know how I missed this. But, yeah, married to JLC for nearly four decades. That's power. And I also feel like it has to be a record for Hollywood, right? Now get this. Jamie actually pursued 
Christopher. Here's a cute story. She saw this picture in a magazine with her Halloween producer, and she said, I'm going to marry that man. She got his number from her agent. She calls him. He never calls back. A while later, she sees him at a restaurant. He waves. She waves. As he's walking out, he waves goodbye to her again. The next day, he calls her back, finally, and the rest is history. So I guess this is sort of a lesson to all men. Um, Call back the first time, he flops. He could have met his wife even earlier. Jesus, it's Jamie Lee Curtis. You're going to keep her waiting? Imagine this podcast all of a sudden turned against Christopher Guest for this tiny little mistake he made that he rectified almost immediately and has led to a very happy marriage for almost four decades. Could be. Could happen. And very unpredictable as a host. They have two adopted daughters named Annie, born in 1986, and Ruby, born in 1996. So I guess it all worked out in the end. But when Jamie Lee Curtis calls you straight men out there, call her back. Not that you can now. She's married to Christopher Guest, the pioneer of the mockumentary genre, even though he doesn't like that term. Listen, everyone, I actually have, you know, breaking news, a perfect guest for this episode. You know her. You love her. She's my friend, Greta Teitelman. She was here on this podcast with me last season for the film Reminiscence, if you want to reminisce about that one. And you probably know her work on HBO Max, sorry about it, in the fifth season of Search Party and on Losa Spookies, which is coming back soon for a second season. We'll talk to her a bit about that. But um, yeah, let's get into it, huh? With my guest, Greta Teitelman. Now, the reason I brought my guest in here is because I know she can name every nut. And <laughs> she is one of my my nutty girls. So, Greta, first off, right off the top, go ahead and name every nut. Pine nut, which is also a town. <laughs> yeah. uh, peanut. Red pistachio nut. All natural Mac- white pistachio nut. Very good. Macadamia nut. Yes. <laughs> and um, you know, my mom would get so upset when I would say macadamia nut. <laughs> she would say, Harlan Pepper, if you don't stop naming nuts. <laughs> you stop naming nuts. <laughs> Red pine nut. Um, this is, mm. I think, my favorite film. I think it's my favorite film, too. And I'm not... I'm not being hyperbolic here when I say this. Like Best in show, that is. It is best in show, truly, and I mean this sincerely, was one of those things when I saw it, even when I was young, Mm -hmm. I was like, I want to be a comedian. Like, I want to do that dumb shit. Yeah. I remember when it entered my life, my sixth grade teacher came into school one day and was like, everyone has to go home and watch Best in Show, which now and knowing that I was in sixth grade, it feels like maybe a little mature. Yeah. To tell your sixth graders to go home and watch. But also, I you need those things that come in and sort of challenge you at a young age. You do. I mean, my mom, both of my parents were obsessed with this movie. And it Mm. was one of those movies that I hold very dear to me because my mom like loved watching it. And she would like, let me watch it, even though. But like, we didn't understand. No, like I didn't understand the nuance that was going on with Cookie Fleck. You know, no, I don't think I did. I think I understood like that. The game was that she was a big hoe, but I think I only thought it was funny. Um, But I think that like, honestly, for me, like it's like a shockingly queer movie. Like you watch it again and like, like there's two queer couples in this (laughs) and like just the, the pageantry. It's like such a gay movie. And like, 
honestly, a ton of Christopher Guest's work is like, there's like implicit queerness in it. Yeah. I have a question. How did you feel the aging of the gay couple was in this movie? Do you mean like in terms of straight people playing them? Yes, yes. Well, I don't think I explicitly know that either of them are not queer. And also it's like Jane Lynch is obviously a lesbian playing a lesbian yes. role. So I, I don't know. I'm different about this, though. Like, I'm not someone that's like queer roles must be capital M played by queer people. I think if you're really right for the part and you're going to act the experience like really yeah. well. I'm actually down for whoever to play whatever. That's not including racial stuff, by the way. I'm talking explicitly about like human sexuality is such a spectrum that if you can accurately portray the experience, I'm down for it. And I think in terms of this movie, they're hilarious. Like, and they are yes. that like gaudy gay couple. And like, I just think it's so lived in and they, they clearly have such affection for each other and the material. And they're not like... I don't feel as a gay man that I'm being, you know, placed into some caricature by this movie. I just think they're funny characters, you know? No, they're so funny. When they're hanging up the quilt on the wall <laughs> to be at the hotel for And one he's like night. lighting incense and doing that little dance with his little fingers. Like, <laughs> yes. But John Michael Higgins, I think, is so good. He's so When funny. he's talking about how it took him six months to make his leather pants. Yeah. When he's like red, red thread and leather. Um, yeah. And I'm just like, yeah, that's this guy. Also, just like when they're checking into the hotel, something that has stayed with me forever is when they're like, well, is when he goes, well, how will you be paying? And then John Michael Higgins goes, talk to daddy. Yeah, <laughs> I do that. I do that all the time now at like restaurants at like at hotel check ins. Talk to daddy. Oh, also when they're in the butcher shop and John Michael Higgins like, yeah. you got a pepperoni stick back there? I just want to hold it. <laughs> I just want to hold it. And then Michael, Michael McKeon the whole time is just like dealing with him like, okay, all right. Yeah. Just like so clearly like obsessed with him, but also like dismissive of him. Like, okay, yeah, all right. He's, uh, you let him go, so he'll good. just go. It's honestly, all the relationships are perfect in this movie. Just like... Everyone's just so on the same page. It's like all breathing the same air artistically. And it's just, I wonder if you have like a favorite, uh, a favorite duo. I mean, I, of course, I love Fred Willard. Yeah. When Fred Willard is just going off as a judge and I don't know, I'm going to look up the guy who, the the guy who was judging with him. His name is Jim Piddock, who was a very funny straight man. When you see him, so he's trying so hard to not break when Fred yeah. Willard is just going on and on. And when he has that part where he's like, well, why, don't, why don't they give out props? A little Sherlock Holmes hat with a little pipe. And what if the pipe can And he smoke? won even and, without the pipe and the, and the smoke. And then when yeah. he goes, you know, it would be good to do a calendar. You know, girls, yeah. you know, washing cars. and get, They get all soaped up, tight T-shirts. I mean, I don't know. You could figure it out. That's more your thing. But it could be, could be great and make a buck. <laughs> Call it doggy style. Call it doggy <laughs> style. Well, I don't know. You And you pick, come up with the name. I don't really, you know. It's not, your, it's my, not I, my thing. I think Fred Willard is amazing. Of course, Parker Posey is just <sighs> giving us 110 
percent. We actually need to talk about Parker Posey, I think, right now for about five minutes. Go on. She's just perfect. She's just so... And I feel this way about Parker Posey across the board in every Mm -hmm. Parker Posey performance. She is so lived in as this person. And like, that's a character that I think could really get taken way too far, way too Mm -hmm. overboard, where you could be watching it and be like, this doesn't feel real. When she is in, when she's freaking out, in the mm-hmm. hotel room, searching for the busy bee, <laughs> and then goes to the pet store. Oh, the next pet store to the hotel. Is, this is a that fish. sequence is like this is this is this person. I know this person, even though yeah. this person is being deranged. This mm-hmm. person exists, and I think that is the pure genius of all Christopher Guest work, and the pure genius of Parker Posey. It's just, that scene is also so funny too because the guy that she is doing the scene with is just like genuinely trying to help her and he's like well what i think the dog is responding to is the stripes well you obviously don't know my dog yeah also you know i'll just take this and go and then he goes this is the least like what you're describing (laughs) this is a parrot (laughs) this is a fish this is a fish (laughs) brilliant and I also, I mean, I think the centerpiece of the whole movie and what I love the most is the scene where Franklin and Meg Swan are describing how they met at two different Starbucks across the street. Oh, yeah, it's perfect. Their connection over the L.L. Bean catalogs and the line, we are so blessed to have been raised amongst catalogs. <laughs> Also, the opening scene, yeah, when she, the the in the dog therapy office talking yeah. about doing Kama Sutra. It's like, it's so good. There, everyone is so perfect. It's brilliant. Also, like you know, genuinely, like Eugene Levy and Catherine O'Hara. Like, there is just some magic there. Like, and you know what's funny? It's like you sort of they make it look so easy like this like crackerjack comedy chemistry they have. But then like there are such broad things about their performances too. Like when she yes. hurts her knee and the way that she's walking when she comes out yes. at the end. I was, <laughs> Abe and I were literally just talking about this. The way that she walks out at the end, that wobble, yeah. that like, it, it's so good. Their chemistry is truly so, 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 so special and has stood the test of time, obviously. Yeah, yeah. Were you a Schitt's Creek fan? You know, I've dabbled in Schitt's Creek. I know that eventually I am going to sit down and watch the whole thing. Yeah. Um. Whenever I see clips, though, I'm like, oh, yeah, she's, get, yeah. she's again, perfect. I know that I've been using that word constantly, but another thing that I love is when Catherine O'Hara, when they go to the, when they stop over at the friend's house for dinner Oh yeah, and he takes the Norwich Terrier out of her hands and then just kisses her on the lips. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, just, yeah. It's so funny to watch people discover them like as of recently when meanwhile they've been doing yeah. this type of high caliber work for such a long time. I mean, it's one of those like comedic duos that I think like obviously has gotten the credit as of late, but going back, like you ever seen a mighty wind? Oh yeah. 
It's incredible. That's one that's a little bit more like offbeat and like it's not it's not as quotable as Best in Show or Waiting for Guffman. Like it's not like, you know, but again, it's their relationship in it is so yeah. specific and lived in that and like they are such a center in it. And I'll never forget when they performed their song on the Oscars. Do you remember when they performed on the <laughs> yes, Oscars together? Yes, I do. That little kiss. <laughs> They're I don't know. I I wonder like to me, that's a very old, older school thing to like have your comedic partner and like the concept of a comedy duo. I feel like now we are so focused on the individual that like we downplay the power of yeah, true comedic duos yeah, and like yeah, the yeah. ensemble. And, you know, I think that, like, we're trending. I hope that we're trending back to more of, like, ensemble work and seeing the power of, like, being in a group and how you feed off of each other and energetically work off of each other because that really is something that, like, they're... They can only exist within each other. They can't do it. I mean, they, of course, are so brilliant without each other, but when they're together, it's, like, a whole other character is created. Yeah, well, obviously, like, the character that rides solo the most in this movie is Harlan Pepper, played by Christopher Guest. And um, that he gave us the iconic nuts monologue. But also, like, little tossaway lines that I wonder were were improvised. Like, when he's leaving, this was, he wasn't even Christopher Guest that said this, but (laughs) when he's, when Christopher Guest is leaving as Harlan Pepper to go to the Mayflower dog kennel, and the guy goes, if you get tired, pull over. You get hungry, eat something. <laughs> yeah. Just little well, things Sasso, like that. Who, Will, Sasso. Will Sasso, who has also been in, to me, two of the funniest movies ever made, being Best in Show and, of course, Drop Dead Gorgeous. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> Will Sasso, and he's like, don't forget the tape. <laughs> the tape of funny songs. The tape of funny songs. The tape of funny songs. What what were they? We don't know. Yeah. Drop Dead Gorgeous, like you watch it again nowadays and you're like, oh my God, this is the best thing ever. But also parts of it are questionable in terms of how they hold up. I mean, <laughs> we just talked to Matt yeah. Malloy because Matt Malloy is on the Showtime show with me. I love that for you. Yes. And we were, we were talking to him. He obviously plays like the pedophile judge in the movie. And he was like, yeah, the most I get come up to and spoken about is that movie. I think there's something about a mockumentary, too, that like you I think like we were able to catch things from actors that we just ordinarily wouldn't. And also yeah. you imagine that they can just sit there and go and go and go and go. So you do yes. get the best stuff. So it feels like the mockumentary yes. as a genre, it almost feels like. I hope it doesn't feel like played out to people because I never want to stop seeing it. We've seen it a lot on television too, like in The Office and Parks and Rec, et cetera. Yeah. But I love it. It works. I love it so much. I think that the problem is we've had so many excellent mockumentaries Mm -hmm. that I think it's hard to compete. Like, I love Spinal Tap. It's coming back. It is coming back. It is coming back. I'm so curious. But I think that that movie, I also think that that is one of Christopher Guest's other peak acting moment. Yes. But that movie, I think, was had to have been so eye-opening because that was the real, to me, like the first st- real Christopher Guest fully mockumentary style of just like following these people to follow them. You know? Yeah. 
I feel like maybe it just more people don't do it because it feels like it does belong to Christopher Guest in a way. And then it also feels like it does belong to like, you know, Greg Daniels, Mike Schur, like people that did right. The Office and, you know, those that were behind Parks and Rec. Like it feels like it's something that masters have already done in a way. And so yeah. you can't touch it because God forbid you were to make something that didn't like stack up. Yeah, I don't know. I just think they are few and far between. And I think that it's so hard to compete with like the masters of the form is right. all I'm going to say about that. Honey. Um, just to uh, sort of propel us into my next topic, um, I have a segment here on the HBO Max Movie Club called But How Is It a Queer Narrative? You may remember it well. Mm, I so, do. Matt, if you could play my techno beat, I'm going to talk about how this is a queer narrative. Here we go. Nuts. Promiscuity. Same-sex relationships between consenting adults. Doms, subs, toys, Jane Lynch, Jennifer Coolidge, Parker Posey, Catherine O'Hara, two different Starbucks across the street. Okay, thank you, Matt. Um, now, I, what we have here, and I, I'm happy, I had to name all the actresses in this film because truly, you have four true queer icons. Yes. Obviously, Parker Posey is going to be someone for all time in the queer community. We have Catherine O'Hara, who has created, I think, such indelible characters that one of the hot takes that someone sent in for this podcast was that on Drag Race, there should be a night of a thousand Catherine O'Hara's, and I honestly think yes. that would be incredible. So that's how yes. you know she's a queer icon. Obviously, yes. Jennifer Coolidge having a well-earned moment right now after a yes, you know what are what is now decades of incredible work, and I feel the queer community is close to her. And obviously, Jane Lynch, icon, Sue Sylvester, the House Down, actual lesbian goddess, game show host, which is very queer. We're given too much in this movie in terms of queer icons. I would say. I would say. I think Jennifer Coolidge right now is wearing the crown for mm -hmm. gay icon and I mean White Lotus so was a well deserved streaming on HBO because her work and I think yeah. what makes her work queer is it's subtle yeah but pointed yeah she hardly speaks in this movie mm -hmm. because her face is just giving. 110%. It's telling you what she is saying. And that is power. Yeah. She's also giving Jane Lynch a lot of room because you get yes. the sense that like she as a, as an improviser and as a scene partner, like knows that Jane's strength is in like the content of what she's saying. And Jennifer is like, an incredible, whether it's yes ending or like just like filling in the rest of the environment, she just sits there and listens and listens and listens mm -hmm. and is then, you know, because she knows she's doing so much by just sitting there and being and also in the way that they're dressed together, just like, yeah, they, their like duet that they're doing in this movie is so good. And you're right, like Jennifer Coolidge, her power is rarely in what she says, but in just the way that she is existing. Like, you think about, like, yes. even Legally Blonde. You know, her scene partner is Reese Witherspoon, who is running the table. You know, like, in White Lotus, she's really just, like, one of the reasons the character is so, like, 
mysterious and why we can't really get a gauge on what the fuck her deal is because she's not saying that much. She's sort of just yeah. like on vacation by herself and she manages to run away with the whole series just by being Jennifer Coolidge. And then when she does sort of give up what's going on in her interior life, it's surprising because we literally haven't heard from her that much, despite the fact that yeah. she's been there. It's really amazing. I mean, this, the part when they're in Best in Show and she's describing the makeup look that she gave to Jane Lynch and that Jane took it off and she was like, yeah. it's a Cleopatra eye. I did a really, a Sophia Loren Persian eye and it was yeah, very dramatic. Persian eye. Yeah, <laughs> And then Jane Lynch goes, I looked freakish. <laughs> I love the hair, though. I do love the hair. <laughs> and then when, oh, my God, when John Michael Higgins and Michael McKeon are watching Christy Cummings as played by Jane Lynch on television, and they're like, oh, my God, it's Miss Cummings. Yeah. <laughs> Rhapsody has two mommies. Oh, she's going to talk to Sherry. Look at that. I just like their little narrating. It's just... It's, so good. it's very funny. It's so good. If you were a drag queen and you had to do a night of a thousand Catherine O'Hara's on Drag Race, what is your Catherine O'Hara look that you're bringing to the runway? Let's take it outside of Cookie Fleck because we're talking so much best in show, though Cookie Fleck literally does sort of naturally lend itself to walking a runway because of the dog showing of it all. And there is that iconic hair piece that she wears, <laughs> that like curly head piece. <laughs> I think that if I were to choose one, it would probably be her character from Waiting for Guffman. Because mm. the the sweatsuit that she wears with Fred Willard when they're like getting ready to audition and they're doing their exercises, it's t that is an iconic look. I will pull it up for you if you don't if you can't think of it. I can recall it. I would say while you're while you're pulling it up, I would say that I would have to choose Beetlejuice. I mean, her her her, her oh, at, sure. at the dinner with her like sort of asymmetrical <laughs> hairdo. <laughs> and then of course there is a performance you could do in the mom searching for her child in Home Alone. You know what I mean? Well, I think what makes Catherine O'Hara's look so iconic in Waiting for Guffman is the bang. It is the flipped yeah. up crazy bang. <laughs> so is. you could have a lot of fun. You uh, know, if I were a queen, you could have a lot of fun with this bang. That is yeah. such a choice. Yeah, it really is so bizarre. Like, and you have to imagine, like, especially in these movies, like in these Christopher Guest movies that are, you know, they do exist in a grounded world, even though the characters are big. Like when they do make big choices with the costuming, you have to think that's all a really delicate conversation about how do we make yes. sure that we're not going too far, but this is like a heightened world that people can recognize, but also like still feel like they're an alien group of people. You know what I mean? Yes. It's really amazing. I mean, Catherine O'Hara has had such an incredible career where she's been able to do so much. And the fact that she's, but she's also so consistent. Yeah, like her very. characters are across the board. So consistent. And actually that's kind of what I'll say about all of these 
people minus Christopher Guest. I kind of feel like Christopher Guest is really the one that gets to play Mm -hmm. kooky, different characters all the time. Everyone else is kind of just like in their clip, like in their little zone, kind of playing the same version of this person that we just can't get enough of. Yeah, you you couldn't tell me, because I think obviously, because I was told as a sixth grader by my teacher, this film, Best in Show, was my first Christopher Guest film, and then I hadn't seen another one until years later. So I thought that him as Harlan Pepper was probably close to what he was like in real life, which is not the case. And I actually would go probably as far as to say that Harlan Pepper is the biggest character in the movie because of how far he is away from actual Christopher Guest's state of being. Like, just the accent, the, the whole thing. Harlan Pepper. It's and, yeah. and the name Harlan Pepper. Also, ha- low key having him be a vent- ventriloquist, ventriloquist, having the doll. <laughs> like that only comes in for one scene, and it's like <laughs> when the, when the doll's <laughs> eyes kind of close, he's <laughs> like, "Are you tired?" Oh yeah, <laughs> oh yeah. That is such a weird detail. Yeah, there are those again. That's like it feels like also like every character has that one insane detail, like Eugene having two left feet, like that. And I'm so happy that they bring that in so early in the movie too, is because you're like, okay, now I understand the world we're playing in. Like this man has two left feet, literally. It's such a swing. But what's so brilliant about it is it doesn't get brought up again until he's with Winky, like in the. Yeah, Dog the stakes. Show. Yeah. So it's like, you know, it's because it's not overdone. Like, that's the thing. It's not like every time they're seeing a new person, they're like, oh, you got two left feet. It's only noticed again when he yeah. is in the dog show competition and as Fred the handler. Willard is like pointing it out. He's like, no, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, but there's something <laughs> wrong with his feet. <laughs> and then you remember Fred- this man has had to overcome so much in order to be, to be able <laughs> yeah. to do this. Yeah. Fred Willard really, to me, I think, do not sleep on Fred Willard in this movie. Rest he is so, so funny. <laughs> Whenever he's like, a little off topic, but how, how much do you think I can bench? Yeah. And he's like, <laughs> and I can deadlift 350. I can deadlift 500, he said. 500. Yeah, Jesus. <laughs> oh my it's God. It's so funny. Do you think that um, future generations are going to come upon Christopher Guest as like we came upon like Mel Brooks or something like that? Do you think that there is going to be? Well, I think that like what something I'm realizing as of today is that, I mean, our our dear friend Jared Frieder, like who I think this movie is spiritually made exactly for, hasn't seen this. And that makes me feel like who else out there hasn't seen these Christopher Guest movies? And then I remember like, you know, there haven't been that many as of late. Like, and I also think, you know, have you seen Foyer Consideration? Of course. I've seen, I think I've seen pretty much every single one of Christopher Guest's movies. So Foyer Consideration is the first like fully scripted one that he did. And I think it's been a bit since we've seen like an actual like full on mockumentary effort from him. And maybe if he were to do one again that were to say, I don't know, stream exclusively on HBO Max, people could find him because... That, well, and another thing, too, is, like, this cast is probably busy as fuck. Like, this was yeah. a time when all of these people were very much around, and now they're all booking. Like, even, like, I, I don't, I can't think of any of them that don't 
book. Like, it's a very cool to see this ensemble that clearly were all there just, like, for the love of the game, like, you know, at this time. They all went on to such, like, busy careers. Yeah, huge careers. I mean, to me, that... That brings me a lot of peace because some days when I have like, you know, I think that we forget that in comedy, we do have a lot of career longevity that like we are so lucky to have these like great communities of creators and people that want to bring you up with them and work with you and collaborate with you. And it is like, holy shit, these people are, you know, probably working the most they've ever worked in their careers right now, which I think is incredible to see. So I think um, if I have one gripe with the movie, it's actually doesn't have to do really with the movie itself. It has to do with a plot point, which is the winner of the Mayflower classic. Now, we know that the Terrier wins. So Eugene and Catherine take it with Winky. But HBO Max did a poll, a movie club hot take for this podcast. They said, did the best dog win? Now, Greta, do you think that the viewing audience feels the best dog won? I, I, I'm going to say that, they, that the viewing audience says no. 68% says yes. 48% says no. Hubert was robbed. So they wanted to see the Bloodhound win. I kind of thought that the Bloodhound might win. or like, Because, and honestly, me as a child watching this movie, I was like, really, the Terrier won? And now me as an adult, too. I don't think a Terrier wins many dog shows like this. I will say Winky was a gorgeous Norwich Terrier. I love <laughs> Norwich Terriers. And if I, I would be God loves a Terrier, I would be cookie making that record because I do yeah. think God loves a Terrier. Of course, Rhapsody in White couldn't win again. We knew no. that, you know. There's sort of villainous in the movie when you watch it again. Like, Jane comes over and tries to intimidate Christopher Guest in that one scene. Like, <laughs> I'm Christy Cummings. I handle Rhapsody in White. But I'm sure you know But you that. probably know that. He goes, yeah. I do and I don't. I do and I don't. <laughs> and the way she's like hitting his dog, like petting it hard. Yeah. <laughs> I think that like in the alt, I guess it would be maybe a dog that we didn't follow could win perhaps. Oh, that's but an I, interesting take. But I kind of felt like if I were to, had to pick between the dogs we were following, the winner would have had to have been the Shih Tzu or... Winky. To me, those mm. were the only two options. I mm. think that Harlem Pepper's <laughs> dog winning would have been too much. It would have felt too much. Like nepotism from himself, the director? Yeah, kind of, you know. <laughs> I'm really curious to see what a script for this movie looks like, honestly. Like, is it a bunch of... Because it actually was nominated for a WGA award for Best Original Screenplay. And I'm thinking to myself, what is this actual screenplay look like like do they submit it like to something like the wga after it's improvised and they write it out or is it just like Probably. i wonder if it's like i wonder if it's like the actors get outlines of scenes and where they should go and then they just sort of improvise which is sort of i think what makes sense to me when i'm watching it yeah, I feel like every scene is kind of broken down in like a beat sheet because you yeah. need to like track story throughout. Like you yes. can't lose it. But I think that when they submit like a script for a, an award, it needs to be transcribed after the fact. Like I don't yeah. think that because uh, they were I do feel like 80 percent of that movie was improvised. Yeah. 
In terms of the dialogue, yes. Yes, yes, in terms of the dialogue. Like, I believe that that whole entire scene about the catalogs and J. Crew and L.L. Bean between Parker Posey and her husband, I I think that that whole scene was improvised, yeah. personally. Do you agree? I would agree. I mean, I think, like, maybe, maybe they're even given suggestions of jokes, and maybe they do it, like, five or six times, and then they do it again, and, like, they find yeah. areas that they want to explore, but that's what makes sense to me but then again i have been blown away in the past by improvisers before i mean when i first moved to new york and i was going to ucb all the time and like seeking out improv i was always like completely floored by people that are like actual top-notch a plus improvisers the way that they are able to remember um detail and track story during improv sets so in a film like this where it's like an even more controlled atmosphere I would not put it past geniuses like this to be making up jokes that are this hard on the spot. I mean, like I've seen it happen. I also feel like that brilliant scene we get with Jennifer Coolidge and her dying husband when we she's talking about soup. the snap peas and soup Snow and talking, not talking. And talking and not talking. We could talk or not talk forever and still find things to not talk about. To not talk about. <laughs> to me, that feels like a absolutely brilliant Jennifer Coolidge improv. Yeah. And then also her scene with Jane Lynch and you know, my mother, she she didn't where was it like her father was the taskmaster. And that <laughs> you know, that worked for my family, you know, until my mom shot herself in eighty one. <laughs> and Jennifer Cool is just hopping in and saying, like, and I have decorative abilities. <laughs> it's it's so good. Oh my God. And we can't overlook um the hotel manager. Oh, he's terrific. <laughs> when he's like, we have no, a that's rock the good card. Catherine O'Hara. No, that's 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 that should be a, yeah. that's a good card. That's a good one. <laughs> we don't have to pay it until two. <laughs> <laughs> But when he's like, when he's talking about the rock group, he's like, we had a rock group staying in here. I'm not going to say who. We laid down the plastic sheets. Uh, apparently, they didn't know there was a bathroom in the room. And I'll still never get over the fact that they cooked a goat. And it took forever to get the scent of charcoal and cumin out of the drapes. I was like, to deliver that line so sincerely and like so dropped in is so hard. Oh, my God. I mean, it's just one of those. And this is what I would say to like, I don't know, like just shouting it out into the void to people making things now. We want to be able to quote your movie. I think that's what yes. that's what that's what makes movies and television shows like really stick in the, you know, zeitgeist or stay in the hearts and minds of people that like love comedy. It's like we want to be able to quote it with each other. Like you can't mm -hmm. remember necessarily like. Like, I don't know. Like, we're not talking about the emotional moves of this movie or the beats. You know, we're talking about, like, the things that happened, the things that were said. I don't know. Just, like, I feel like being able to quote movies with your friends is, like, such a oh, yeah. formative, fun thing. Like, here we are having the time for absolute life, just quoting. I know. We could truly just replay the movie and have a ball. But I think that that's the power of these big ensemble comedies yeah. that, like, I really hope are going to come back. I really hope that they come back because it's the power of, like, quotable Christopher Guest movies. It's the power of all of the Will Ferrell movies that everyone loves to quote. It's the power yeah. of all of the Ben Stiller movies that everyone loves to quote. It's like, you know, everyone loves everyone loves a good quote, honey.
Everyone loves a good quote. And here's a quote from me to our, um, to our listening audience out there. Greta Teitelman is coming to HBO Max. What can we look forward to at U.S. Ambassador Melanie Gibbons getting up to in this new season of Los Espookies? Well, you know, I got to say that here I am talking about great ensemble comedies. And voila, wouldn't you know, I'm not I'm not just in one, but I'm in two on HBO Max. Oh, okay, honey, let's give a special I, I shout out to, to Search Party. <laughs> but Los Espookies season two, it's it's truly some of the funniest writing I've ever read. I have an absolute ball. Melanie Gibbons is up to her her little tricks, you know. She's a she has some dreams, she has some goals. We're going to see her in some looks. We're going to see her in some looks. She's, you know, bossing her staff around at the embassy and it's just <laughs> I really do I'm so excited that we got a second season and that we finished a second season and that yes. everyone's going to get to watch it because it's so, so, so brilliant. And Long funny. awaited. And of course, Search Party season five, Greta was in the final season of Search Party, which I think it was the strongest season. And you can stream that one on HBO Max. Can you talk a little bit about what it was like working with that and Charles and SV and co in the cast of Search Party? Oh, yes. Yes. Oh, my goodness. I'm so, you know... I'm so lucky to just get to work with all of our like brilliant, brilliant friends. Obviously, Mm -hmm. Charles and SV are genius and I'm going to and I'm just going to say it. Visionaries. What do you think about that? I think ahead of their time. I think you hit it on the head. And you can't you really can't ask for better people like Alia, John, Meredith, John. Mm-hmm. You know, the four of them are just it's that really good alchemy that we were talking about that like yeah. can exist and you want to be with it. And it was just so fun to um, work with them. And it was really fun to be British. Honestly, it was yeah, fun, it was fun for me show. to slip into that little accent, give you some accent work. London Hughes told me that it was one of the top five best British accents she's ever heard from an American. And her first name is London. So there you go. Sorry. London from London. Um, Sorry about it. And then, of course, I mean, I would be remiss if I didn't mention that, of course, Search Party is like a love letter to New York comedians. I mean, it's like it's truly if you watch season one through five, you'll see so many people and it is like an ensemble 50 times the size of the one we see in best in show but spiritually sort of reminiscent not to i mean uh, everyone is on it it's in it's insane and that's our own little reminiscence right there greta (laughs) (laughs) um greta titleman thank you so much for joining us on the hbo max movie club you are my favorite little movie buddy oh matt i love you so much and you know what God loves a terrier, honey. God loves a terrier. <laughs> yes, I did take the Catherine O'Hara harmony, even though I'm with Greta here. I did. I no, but that up. makes sense because I'm more of a Eugene gal. <laughs> you're the you're sort of the baritone here, and I'm the I soprano. Loves a terrier. All right, everyone. <laughs> See you in a couple weeks. Bye. Woo.
Thanks for joining the HBO Max Movie Club. The movies we talked about today are currently available on HBO Max. Check the show notes for exact streaming dates. And don't forget to join the club every other week. Share your hot takes for The Birdcage with hashtag MaxMovieClub to at HBO Max Movies on Twitter and Instagram. If you haven't already subscribed, rated, or reviewed HBO Max Movie Club, please do so on the iHeartRadio app, HBO Max, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you might get your podcasts. HBO Max Movie Club is a production of HBO Max and iHeartRadio, hosted by me, Matt Rogers. Our executive producer is Matt Stillo. Our producer is Sierra Kaiser. And today's episode was written and researched by Kate Voss. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, everybody. 